with anybody because of what they decide or don't decide. Uh, but but we just want to worship God. We want to stay focused on Jesus during this time. But we're excited about things uh, beginning to move in that direction. Amen. Yeah. I want to speak to you this morning about uh, Pentecost and. Even when you say that word, uh, it can be it can be a difficult word for people. Now, for for our church, like here's what I like about City of Hope Church: we got people that, if you look at their background, some of them are Pentecostal, some of them are Baptist, some of them are Presbyterian, some of them got a Methodist background, some of them have a, a Catholic background, you know. And I got a little bit of a mixture, you know. What I'm saying I started Catholic and went into a little Presbyterian, you know. I I dabbled in a little Baptist, and then and then and then I. And, and then I went at full Pentecost there for a while. You know what I'm saying? So I had a good mix. But what I like about City of Hope Church is we consider ourselves, I guess you would say, a non-denominational. I'd even like to call it an interdenominational church. Where we just sort of say, you know what, at the end of the day, we've all got different backgrounds. Maybe our, our beliefs aren't exactly the same on everything. But we magnify Jesus above everything else. And, and, and we want to center around the main things and let peripheral things not be that big of a, big of a thing. But here's the thing. I'm preaching this morning. I don't know if you realize that or not. So I, there's some, I, God made me a particular way, and there are experiences in my life that make me to see things a particular way. But when we talk about Pentecost, there's always a lot of confusion. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually went to a seminary school, and the name of the seminary was Pentecostal Theological Seminary, right? And, and, and when people would ask me, I, I would have conversations with big-time scholars that didn't go there. And they'd ask me, so where are you going to school, sir, to get your seminary degree? And, I, and, I would, and, I, and, I, and I'd almost be embarrassed a lot of times because I got people's responses. I said, well, Pentecostal Theological Seminary. One response that I got one time was this. Huh, I didn't know Pentecostal studied. <laughs> that was a good one, wasn't it? Yeah, so, uh, and then, and then, uh, and then one guy said, Pentecostal Seminary. He said, isn't that an oxymoron? I said, well, that's pretty good. You got good, good jokes, man. So, so then I just started telling people, well, it's Church of God Seminary. You know what I'm saying? Because, because when you say Pentecost, what people start thinking in our region is that people are handling snakes and they're just wallering and speaking in tongues all over the place and just, and just everybody's kicking chairs over and doing backflips and stuff like that. And maybe rightfully so, because a lot of churches that have been labeled Pentecostal, man, they can get loose. I've been in them. You know what I'm saying? I've been in some full contact Pentecostal services. I've been in ones where people get injured. You know what I'm talking about? And that was just the Lord moving. I mean, Lord, hey, when the Lord moves, people break arms sometime. Eh? That's just what happens. You know what I'm saying? But here's what I want to say. I want to, I want to say that this morning, that Pentecost is something that regardless of what denomination you associate yourself with, you are Pentecostal in some sense. In the true sense of what it means. I would even say this. A lot of people say, well, we're not, a charis we're not charismatic. The church, every believer in Christ, in some sense, is Pentecostal. And in some sense, they are charismatic because they truly believe that the gift of the Spirit has come to enable them to do something beyond what it was in their capacity to do before. So I want to talk to you this morning uh, uh, about Pentecost and what it really is. But let me give you a few really quick points, and then we'll get into the meat of the sermon. The first point. Is that, is that Pentecost is the birthday of the church. When we get into Acts chapter 2 here in a minute, what you're going to find out, this is Pentecost Sunday, and it happened 50 days after Passover in the Old Testament. And Pentecost, literally that's what Pentecost means. It means 50. Man, that's deeply spiritual, isn't it? It means 50. Because 50 days after Passover, or 50 days after Jesus died on the cross in the new covenant Passover, was the day of Pentecost, 
and the Spirit was given and the church of Jesus Christ was born in the power of the Spirit. And that's one thing that we've got to understand is that the church are those who have been filled with the Spirit of God and called to carry out the work that Jesus left us to do. And without the power of the Spirit, we're unable to do it. Secondly, Pentecost is God reclaiming all creation. To be filled with the Spirit is actually to be a signpost of the end. God is saying, look, all creation, it got shot through with sin. Everything was broken. Everything was marred by the power of sin. And it had been lost into the devil's grip and into the devil's hand. Even Jesus called Satan the ruler of this system of things. Paul called him the lowercase g, God of this world. And in other words, he was in control. He was moving things in an evil force. And all of the world was under the sway of the wicked one in the world. But on the day of Pentecost, God was saying, you know what? I'm about ready to bring a reclamation. I'm about ready to reclaim all of my creation and I'm starting with some believers who have said, I am a vessel God. I'm available. Would you fill me? Would you use me? And on the day of Pentecost, he's saying, I'm coming back to reclaim what is mine. And he begins to fill individuals on the day of Pentecost with the Spirit of God. And see, it's a foretaste of the fact that one day and one day very soon, all of, the, all of creation will be filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. See, you become a signpost to the end. When you're filled with the Spirit of God, you become a signpost to the end that says not only is this person filled with God, but one day all things will be filled with God. And there'll be no more evil, there'll be no more wickedness, but there's going to be a, a purifying that comes. And thirdly, Pentecost is an experiential worldview. In other words, when you start to look at Pentecost and what's going on, these men knew the Scripture. They were Jews. They knew the Old Testament. They could preach Jesus and quote the Old Testament better than anybody could. They would preach, and Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, and he quoted from the book of Psalms. He went in different places, and he was preaching the Word of God. He knew doctrine. He had dogma. He had specific beliefs, but he was preaching Jesus crucified. But see, Pentecost is not just about what you believe intellectually. It's about what you have experienced experienced in your heart. And sometimes people get afraid. Well, you know, Clay, uh, Christianity, it's not about experience. It's not about experience. Let me tell you something. I have had experiences with God that have radically changed my life. Is what we believe important? Absolutely. Should we have right doctrine? You better believe it. Should we study the word of God and let it be primary in our lives? Absolutely. But see, the study of Scripture, and when we get into the Word and when we unpack it, it should, act, it should actually lead us into a relationship in which we have experiences with God. We should expect to encounter this living God. It's not just about knowing information. It's not just about pulling a book off of a shelf or even going to seminary. It would do nobody any good to go get a degree like I've got without having a true encounter with the living God. Because it's not just about knowledge up here, but it's about having the Spirit of God filling you. It's an experiential worldview, and it's a radical openness to God. It's an openness to God that believes, you know what, man, in any, in any moment of any time, we're not just going to come in here and worship and expect three songs and this and that, and then during the week nothing happens. No, we expect God to break in among us here today. We expect God to break in among us in our workplaces tomorrow. We expect God to break in and bring change and go against the powers of the devil, and we acknowledge a supernatural and a spiritual world around us, man. We believe there's demons and angels at war in the hidden realm. We believe stuff like that. That's a Pentecost worldview. Clay, you saying we're Pentecostal? No, that's not what I'm saying, right? But I am Pentecostal, so let that confuse you. 
Pentecost, number four, is the beginning of the end in which justice and mission are necessary. See, Peter got up and he preached and he quoted scripture and he said, in the last days I shall pour out my spirit upon all flesh. They called it, that was the beginning of the end of days on the day of Pentecost. And he was saying, this is the end because it's pointing to the end and the end when God comes and sets everything up. But in reality of knowing that God is coming back and he's coming back quick, when the spirit of God fills a person, they can no longer be complacent. When the Spirit of God fills a human being, they can no longer be complacent. All of a sudden, there is a compulsion. There is a burning fire in their hearts that begins to break out. And they say, you know what? I must go on mission for the kingdom of God. Justice has to take place in this broken world. And I must go on mission for the kingdom of God. And see, Jesus was preparing them for this. Pentecost went outside, folks. You realize that? I I preached that one time at a Pentecostal church and they got madder and fire at me. I preached a message called Pentecost went outside. And what I was trying to say is really Pentecost is not about us having a throw down service and breaking arms and drop kicking chairs and running pews and hollering in tongues as loud as we possibly can. That's not what Pentecost is about. It's about gathering together as the people of God, acknowledging Jesus as Lord in worship, being filled with his spirit and then allowing that to drive us outside of these doors to bring the gospel to a broken world. Pentecost pushes you outside. Yeah, you can clap if you want to. I know we're closer here to Methodist than we are Pentecostal, but I'm going to make denominational jokes all just to water it a little bit, make it more palatable for people. But Jesus had prepared them for this promise. He said, listen, guys, you got to get ready because soon and very soon, he said, go in Jerusalem and tarry until you are endued with power, until you're clothed with a power from on high. He said, it's the promise of my Father. I've been telling you about this Holy Spirit, and you guys were all upset about it because I was going away, but you didn't realize that when I went away, you would actually experience a supernatural power in which everything would change in a moment of time. You'd be something that you weren't before, and he prepared them for this, and they go to the upper room, and for 10 days, they are interceding. They are praying. They are waiting on a promise, and folks, it says that they were there in one mind and one accord. And I'm telling you something. In our world today, do you see how much division there is in our world today? It is insane. And it is demonic. Division is always demonic in nature. And you see it in our political system in an outrageous way where people literally hate other people because they stand in a different political party. And then, But not only that, it has infected the church. And man, if God is going to move in power in, in, our, in the church in these last days, there's got to be something where we start to overlook our small little bitty differences and we gather around the name of Jesus Christ and we gather around the gospel and we see that these terms that we use to separate us are actually universal themes that we can all gather under and say, listen, there's only one name. There's one name. It's not this church or that church. The name is Jesus. And we're all coming together in that to worship him and bring together. And when they, they, were, when they were unified and calling out to God, all of a sudden the spirit came among them. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 2. We get to it. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 through 7. It says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. 
And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, I want you to notice they were in this upper room on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit breaks in among them. And it says there were divided tongues as of fire setting over them. So it's literally flames of fire resting over their heads. Now, this is interesting because it's pointing to something very specific. If you remember in the Old Testament, God did not dwell in human beings. He dwelt in a temple. He dwelt in a tabernacle. And when Moses was in the tabernacle and all of them worshipped around the tabernacle, the presence of God would be in the Holy of Holies. And a pillar of fire at night would rest over the Holy of Holies. And when that pillar of fire would move, they would move the tabernacle in order to follow that pillar of fire. What is God saying in this? He's saying, no longer does God dwell in the tabernacle. You have become the tabernacle of God. You have become the dwelling place of God. And the fire of God now rests over you. And wherever that fire moves, you will follow. Because now the Spirit of God is not just out there somewhere. And the presence of God is not in a location somewhere. Where you carry the presence and the Spirit of God wherever you go. The fire of God is now in you. And he's saying this is a new tabernacle, a new dwelling place of God through the Holy Spirit. And the fire is unique because why does he say fire? You remember John the Baptist? He was a Baptist man. Amen, right? He baptized people. And John the Baptist, he said, he said, look, I'm baptizing you with water for the forgiveness of sins, but there's one coming after me who is mightier than I. He said, I'm not worthy to untie this dude's shoes. And he said, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. That fire is a purifying fire. The scripture says that when we stand before Christ on judgment day, that a fire will be tried to your works, what you have done in this body, and many things will be burnt up. And see, what happens is, is if you can yield to the Holy Spirit now, he's saying, look, there's a judgment coming, there's an end coming, and I'm giving you the spirit and fire, and that fire will purify you and burn out everything that is not of me so that you can stand before him on judgment day, holy and pure in your works. Now, I want you to understand this, that the blood of Jesus is washes us from all sin. When you and I as Christians stand before God, we're, our sin is already done with. He's not going to say, well, you got some sin in your life there. He's got, you got, got some sin in your life there. He's, he's going to recognize that the sacrifice of the blood has cleansed us from all sin. And thank God that gives us eternal life. Amen. But see, I still as a Christian, it's no longer a heaven issue. Now it's an issue of the character that is actually formed in me with the life that I live for Christ. And it's not determining whether or not I go to heaven or hell. It's determining what will happen in eternity. What I will do, what I, what I will be able to practice, how I'll be able to partner with God because of what's going on. And that fire will, will be set to all of my works. But right now I have a purifying fire of the Holy Spirit that seeks to do that in me right now in this moment. There's something else that's happening on the day of Pentecost because as we read that, it says that they all notice this, and this is where, you know, we get controversial. I'm not going to talk about tongues too much. I don't want to freak everybody out. But, but, but it says that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And it says they began to speak in languages. There were Cappadocians and Cyrenians and, and, and all of these different nations were gathered around from everywhere. And different languages, people, devout men from every, other, every nation were coming together on the day of Pentecost. And as they come together on the day of Pentecost, they're all speaking these languages and people are confused. They're saying, we hear these men speaking the wonderful words of God in our own languages. And what's going on here at this moment is there's a reversal of something that happened in the Old Testament. There's a reversal of Babel. You know what Babel means? It means confusion. 
And in Genesis chapter 11, all of humanity were united, but they were united against God. Do you realize that's what Satan's trying to do in the world right now? He's trying to bring a unity in humanity. You know, Jesus even said, don't think that I've come to bring peace. I've come to bring a sword. But what he was saying is that we live in such a wicked world that there's going to be times where there is division. Because when you stand for Christ, you will be resisted. And that's just the reality of it. We want unity, but I can promise you it's not coming until Jesus comes back. What we have to do is do our best to be unified with those in our midst as Christians so that we work for what God has called us to work through. But see, there was they were unified at Babel, and they were unified against God. They said, we're going to build a tower into the heavens. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to become our own gods. And God comes down, and he confuses the languages, and he scatters them throughout the world because he knew if they were unified against him like that, he said nothing will be withheld from them. And he had to make sure that humanity was not unified in that sense, totally against God, and he set it back. He confused the languages. But in the end, in the day of Pentecost, God is saying, guess what? Now I'm bringing every nation, every tribe, every tongue back together. It doesn't matter what language they're from, what ethnicity, what race. When they name the name of Jesus, there is a gathering of every tribe, nation, tongue, and language and they're all going to glorify me and there won't be a scattering anymore but there will be a unison and it won't be against God but it will be for the one true God because we believe that in the end of days, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess regardless of what color you are, what race you are, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father and on Pentecost he starts that regathering. He's gathering them back in, and he's pouring out his spirit upon all flesh. And see, it says in Acts chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, it says, so they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said, they are full of new wine. These boys are drunk. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Hey, boys, it's just 9 a.m. They ain't drunk yet. And then he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And after he says this, he gets up and he preaches a sermon. Now, here's, here's something that's very interesting because people will say, well, you know, tongues, see, they're for evangelism, and it's, and it's in a known language. You know, Scripture actually speaks about three different types of tongues. It's when one type is this type, when, they're, when they speak in a known language, right? And, and it's a sign to unbelievers. It doesn't actually win people to Christ. As a matter of fact, when they spoke in tongues, nobody got saved. Somebody amen me. Nobody got saved when they spoke in tongues. It simply drew them in, and it even says they were perplexed and confused. Well, God's not the author of confusion. Now, they were confused, but they were drawn in. But what did it do? It was a signpost to something greater. And once it drew them in, Peter doesn't continue to speak in tongues and start rolling around on the floor. No, then he stands up and he boldly proclaims the gospel. 
And that is what unlocked the people's hearts. There was an opening door. So see, it's not just about evangelism. There's something deeper that's going on. It's a sign. And then the scripture talks about how tongues, there's a tongue that is an interpretation. There's an interpretation to a tongue in a body of Christ or in a group of believers. But then there's a tongue, he said, that no man understands it. He said, but in the spirit of man speaks mysteries unto God. Now, I'm not getting into tongues, but I'm just giving you a little bit of clarification if you want to search it a little deeper. So he stands up, he preaches this sermon and his sermon is very simple he says he says look y'all you guys crucified this Christ God has borne witness throughout scripture that he is the Christ and that God would not leave his body in the grave but he said this same Christ that you crucified he has now been raised from the dead and when they when he preaches this the Holy Spirit is at work in such a way that all of their hearts the same men that crucified Jesus and killed him all of their hearts are convicted and they are pierced through and they reply What should we do? What do we need to do? And here's what Peter says. Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off as many as the Lord our God will call. He's saying, look, even though you just crucified Jesus, this promise of the Spirit is still for you. And they're saying, what should we do? We, 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 we sense that this is real. What you're preaching is truth. You know who made them sense that it was real and what he was preaching was truth? It was the power of the Holy Spirit being released in that moment their hearts were convicted they said what should we do he says you need to repent you need to turn of your sins you need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit this gift of the Holy Spirit will be given to you as well and it's for you and for your children and all who are far off no matter what you've done no matter who you are no matter where you've been this promise of the Spirit is for you if you will simply repent and turn to the Lord and and he will give you this gift of the Holy Spirit And it says, Acts 2, verse 40 and 41, and with many other words, he testified and exhorted them. Many, I like how it says many other words. You know, I imagine he preached like a two-hour sermon that day, and that just sort of gets me off the hook a little bit. It doesn't say with a few other words. He preached a short sermon. Now, it says many other words. Bless the Lord. He, he, He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. Can you imagine preaching in the midst of the place that just killed Jesus, just begged for his crucifixion, and all of a sudden the same men that were most likely yelling for his crucifixion, their hearts were pricked, and they turned to the Lord. That's a good day, isn't it? 3,000 souls get saved. That's a good day. But see, there's something else that's going on here because the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament was the day that the law was given. And on the day that the law was given, the Pentecost in the Old Testament, when Moses came down from the mountain, they had already been breaking the laws, worshiping golden calves, dancing around naked, partying, acting like a bunch of hoodlums. And Moses comes down and breaks the commandments on the ground and he calls the Levites to himself. And that day, 3,000 were killed because of their rebellion against the law of God. But see, this is why Paul said, guess what, y'all? The law, the letter of the law in the Old Testament kills, but the Spirit in the New Testament gives life. Because no, not 3,000 people didn't die in the New Covenant on the day of Pentecost, but 3,000 people were saved. He's saying, you know that law that you couldn't keep that existed outside of you? Now the Spirit has come, and He has written the law in your hearts. He lives inside of you, and you're going to be able to fulfill the law because the Spirit of God is going to empower you to live righteously and holy before God. Somebody amen me this morning, right? This is good, right? 
The Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. How many of y'all you ever seen that movie Shazam? Man, it, I, see, not only we're Pentecostal, we're a holiness group because we, we don't even watch TV. Bad joke. Nobody laughing this morning. Y'all a tough crowd, man. I don't, I don't know what to do. So there's this movie, Shazam. I think it's in the DC comics. I watched it there not too long ago. But, uh, but this, this kid, he's a 14-year-old kid, man. And, he's, he, and he's, he's just a regular old kid, got nothing. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, he's just a young boy. And he comes into, uh, he, comes into the, he meets this wizard, right? And this wizard comes to him and he gives him the power of like seven different heroes. And, and now when he gets this power... He can just say one word. He can say Shazam, and in a moment, he's just changed into a different, different being. He can fly. He's bulletproof. He's got supernatural strength in a moment of time. And as I'm watching this movie, it's very. When I look at movies, I try to see, I try to see like what's going on in there. You know what I'm saying? I, I look with a spiritual lens sometimes. He goes to to war against this guy Thaddeus, who wanted to be the warrior with the seven with the seven heroes. You know. That power work within him, but Thaddeus could not do it. So Thaddeus goes another direction, and he's actually filled with seven demons, scarily enough, that represent the seven seven uh, deadly sins. And he's filled with this, and he goes to war against that. But the most interesting thing is that in a moment of time, this fourteen year old boy he can just say Shazam, and everything changes, and he's empowered. And in a moment of time, he has the power to conquer. Evil. He has the power to go up against these deadly forces of wickedness. You know, C.S. Lewis said it like this. He said, look, if you look at the stories in humanity, if you look at mythology, if you look at the movies that people are writing, he's saying they're actually telling a truth about the longings of the human heart within. Amen. And when you see something like that, see, the longing is, is that even in our weakness, even in our frailty, even when we're just 14-year-old boys and stuff like that, we are looking, we understand that there is a wicked force, there's an evil in the world, and we wish we had a supernatural power to overcome the obstacles in our life. That's a longing of the human heart, and it's there because Jesus Christ, God the Father, made us that way. He designed us to be filled with a power outside of ourselves, the Holy Spirit, and Satan is looking looking to, 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 to falsify that, to bring a counterfeit, and he looks to infill us with his evil. But God says, no, you weren't made for that. You're made to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You are designed to be empowered to overcome the wicked forces of this world, to overcome the sin in your own life, and to bring it in subjection to you. See, in proof of such a mighty transformation, you see in Peter... Because if you read it, I don't know about you, but if I'm reading the Gospels and then I come to the book of Acts, I'm like, boys, what happened to Peter? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, you look at a guy who, who stands up, man, he's fearless, he's bold, he's unafraid. He preaches the gospel in front of the same people that he had just denied Jesus three times in. I mean, this man gets up and preaches the word in a crowd. And, and I, you talk about public fear of public speaking. He gets up, he preaches it boldly with no reservations. And just before... Just like probably 50 days earlier, right? He had denied Jesus three times. And when a little girl said, hey, weren't you that guy that's hanging out with Jesus? He cussed and everything. You know what I'm talking about? How is it that just 50 days later, all of a sudden, shazam, there's something different. There is a transformation. There's a change that takes place in his life. Now, let me tell you why I'm passionate about this. Because growing up, I knew about God. Growing up, I prayed to God. But there was a time in my life I started, when I was young, I started drinking alcohol. I started doing drugs. I was addicted to pornography. And these things mastered and controlled my life. 
Okay? They mastered and they controlled my life. It was who I was. I was depressed. I was broken. Had no idea what the meaning and the purpose of life was. I'd heard about Jesus. If you would have asked me, I would have told you I am a Christian. I'm a believer in Jesus. I, I would have told you that. I was not a, against God. Matter of fact, I would be drunker than a dog and go to college and be in a class where somebody would stand up and say they didn't believe in God. And I would freak out about it because I believed in God. I believed there was a God. But guess what? I was not living for God. There was a big difference in that. And I had a moment. I went through a season in life, man, where I started reading the Bible. I started praying. I started fasting. I started seeking God. But no matter how hard I tried, I could not break the addictions in my life. I could not overcome the sin that was in my life. And after about 11 months of seeking the Lord with my entire heart, praying, fasting, and failing over and over again, I remember a specific day. I was in Lexington in my apartment living with my sister at the time. I went home after a night when I did something that I didn't want to do again. I come into my bedroom that morning. I begin to cry out to God and I said, Lord, I've sought you. I've read the word. I've read the scripture. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've sought your face and I'm just so sick of being what I am. I don't have the power to overcome this. I'm bound to it. I need you. And if I can't live the way your word is telling me I'm supposed to live, then I don't want to live anymore. And in that moment, I can't tell you exactly what happened, but I know and I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit filled that room. And not only did he come in me, but he came upon me and and something changed in a moment of time. My addictions were broken. No longer was I struggling with them anymore. And here's the thing that was most interesting is I was going through this almost one-year process of seeking God and trying to get the boldness to speak to my friends about Jesus. And I would not do it. I would not tell my buddies that I was seeking the Lord. I wouldn't tell them anything. Why? Because there was a fear in my heart. I didn't want to make them feel awkward. I didn't want to do anything that would be uh, weird. And I was so nervous about what was going on in my life. And after that moment, there was a boldness that came over me. I immediately went downstairs and my sister and her two friends who thought I was one of the craziest human beings on the planet. I mean, they, you know, they'd come in and I'd be smoking a big doobie down there in the bottom of the, of the thing. And I know it's, it's just a reality. And they thought I was a wild human being. And all of a sudden, this same wild human being comes down the stairs. They're sitting there getting ready for work. And I, without even planning to, I start preaching the gospel to them. I start telling them how Jesus has transformed my life. I've been seeking, I've been searching, and God's done something in me. Something's changed. I felt something break. Something left me. I don't know. And everybody thought I was crazy. My mom thought I was crazy. About two days later, I, I, I'm in the gym at EKU playing basketball. And as I'm playing basketball, I get done playing a game, and my heart begins to pound out of my chest. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, what is this? And these two, my, two of my buddies come to my mind. And on the inside, it was like I knew that I knew that I knew. That's, that's Pentecost right there. You know what I'm talking about? I know that I know that I know. I don't have a verse for it, but I know. Something's going on on the inside of me. That's when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and he begins to move you. He begins to lead you. And there's no way I would have done this without the Holy Spirit in my life. But he activated something. And immediately I went. I went over to my friend's house. I start to speak to them. I sat down and they're in there. They're, they're smoking a big doobie. They're playing video games. You know what I'm saying? And, and I sat down and I'm nervous as a cat, y'all. That, that heart beating had been gone. It was gone now. And I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my Lord, why did I come over here? What am I doing here? And they played video games for another 15 minutes. And I sat there and, and, and they were like, hey, man, you want some? I'm like, no, man, I'm good. I'm just going to sit here a minute. Just wait, waiting, for, waiting for class. And, 50, and all of a sudden, it was like you could feel a change in the room. All of a sudden, they turned the video game off. They leaned back, crossed their legs, and said, what's up, man? And in that moment, boom, 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 boom. 
I felt the Holy Spirit come upon me. My heart began to beat. And I didn't know what to say, folks. I'm 20 years old at the time. I don't know what's going on. You know what I'm saying? I, I'd read like 32 verses. You know, I mean, actually I'd read more than that, but that's what I felt like I'd read. I definitely didn't know any. And I begin to preach the gospel to them for about 40 minutes. I tell them what Jesus had done in my life. I tell them how before I, I thought I was a Christian, but it wasn't real. And, and, and God is empowering me to do this. You understand what I'm saying? I wasn't raised a Christian. I didn't know all the right things to say. But I, I'm trembling. My voice is shaky. But there's something on the inside of me that says, these boys have got to know what you have experienced. They got to know Jesus is real. And see, the problem is they looked at me. They looked at me. After I got done, they looked like deer in headlights. The one of them looked at me, he said, Clay, don't you know, man? We're saved. We got saved when we were kids. And son, I felt the Holy Ghost come on me again. That's, how, that's Pentecost talk. I felt him come on me again and there was like a supernaturally charged boldness that rose up on me on the inside again. And I said, no, fellas, you ain't saved and I wasn't saved either. We did not. We cannot sit here and be drunk and high and having sex with everything and looking at porn and acting like a bunch of hoodlums and declare that we are saved, that we, know, we don't know Jesus. I said, when you know Jesus, something changes on the inside of you. And I begin to preach. And this is, this is flowing out of me. And I have no idea where it's coming from. And I, I'm, I literally, I get up and I'm shaking like this. And these guys, these guys are like, we love you, man. Pray for us. Pray for us. Pray for us. Nothing happens with those guys. Six years later, one of these guys calls me. He says, you remember when you said that to me that day you came into that? He said, I just wanted to thank you for that, man. He said, I've never been able to get that off of my mind. He said, it was a God moment. It was a divine moment. And he said, I've never been able to get it off my mind. He said, I wanted you to know I went to church this morning as a preacher was preaching. He said, I thought I'd been saved my whole life. I felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He said, I chose to repent. I gave my life to Jesus. So all I'm saying is, look, look, look. Don't let what, and I, and I try my best to not. Like, don't allow your past experiences or your past doctrinal hang-ups keep the Holy Spirit from moving in you the way that He needs to. You call it whatever you want to. I don't care what you call it. Just let Him move. You can call it Methodist. I don't care. Just let Him move. Somebody amen me this morning. I don't care what you call it. You know, when we go Pentecostal theology at the seminary, we, we were joking. My wife and I went there, and, and I love them. Like, I love all denominations. I come from the church of God. They're in the church of God, and I love the church of God. But, you know, there's, there's an arrogance that sometimes comes when you affiliate yourself with just this specific denomination. As if you know all things, and they don't know nothing else. And if you call yourself a Pentecostal, you have no right to look down on a Baptist or anybody else thinking you know something more right than they do. You don't know nothing no more than they do. You ain't got nothing no more than they do. And if you do, what you do have is pride and you need to get it rooted out of your heart. So, oh, now, I feel Pentecost this morning. I about took off running right then. Hallelujah. <laughs> Woo. That was good there. Oh, Lord, help me. Help me now. But listen, we, that, they would get up and they'd say, we are distinctly... Pentecostal. And I'm just like, man, take that on off and just wear Jesus. Take that on off and just wear Jesus. Let the Spirit of God be the Spirit of God in your life. You don't have to get up and declare anything like that. 
You just need to let Jesus be Jesus. Let the Spirit of God be the Spirit of God in you. And I'm telling you, that's what's going to bring unity in the church when we start to unify around things that we can gather around and say, you know what? I may disagree here or there. I may not agree with you perfectly doctrinally. Clay, you may speak in tongues. I'm going to probably hold off on that. But we can still be filled with the Spirit of God and accomplish His mission. Y'all with me? Come on now. So number five, Pentecost is the empowering of the church for ministry. That's what I'm saying, is that there, there, there's a place in your life spiritually that you've got to become open to because it is very possible to be saved but still need this infilling of the Holy Spirit in a moment where He comes upon you and brings transformation in your life to move you into deeper realms. And, and I want to make this clear because I know that will be difficult for some. But see, Jesus, He... He fulfills his role in history. He goes and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. He sends the Spirit and the Spirit begins to be active. And the Holy Spirit has not sat down yet because he is still at work in our world through the church. Who is the Holy Spirit? Well, I, I got I to gotta tell you, the Holy Spirit, get this. One, one time I was, I was teaching a lesson. Back in the day, I used to teach every Friday night, son. And I'd have started out with about two people. It grew to a crowd of about 25 or 30. Man, we had some good meetings on those Friday nights. And I remember I, I preached on the Holy Spirit like three or four weeks in a row. And one guy came up to me who had a background that really challenged a lot of the things, I guess, that I was teaching. And he comes up to me and said, man, you, act, you guys act like the Holy Spirit is God or something. And I said, you said it, brother. <laughs> guess what? The Holy Spirit turns out is God. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And with the Father and the Son, the Spirit is to be worshipped and glorified. But when the Spirit shows up, He does not glorify Himself. He glorifies Jesus Christ and lifts Jesus high and puts Him on the pedestal and begins to show and shine the light on Him. The Spirit was at work in creation with the Father and the Son. The Spirit was moving at creation with the Father and the Son. And He was at work throughout the Old Testament doing various things. And when Jesus comes, He comes comes upon Jesus and Jesus teaches us what it is like to live a relationship with God the Father as a human being filled with the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit without measure. If you want to know what it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit, don't go to the Pentecostal church down the road. Go to Jesus. Somebody amen me on that. What it looks like to be filled with the Holy Spirit looks like Jesus because he was filled without measure. I want to be like him. I'd like to carry myself like him. I'd like to do what he does in church services. You know what I'm saying? If he lands, lay hands on the sick, I'm down for it. You know what? I want to be like Jesus. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But see, he says, you've got to be totally reliant upon the Holy Spirit. Jesus even said, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Everything he did, everything he said was the Father's will done through him by the leading of the Holy Spirit. Even his resurrection was done by whom? The Holy Spirit. So, if not only that, the Bible that was written, guess what? It was written through men as the Holy Spirit inspired them and breathed on them. So the Holy Spirit was the one who wrote Scripture. Amen. So he's pretty important. The Holy Spirit is pretty important. But let me give you three things that you need to know about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. There's three specific words about your relationship with the Holy Spirit. With, in, and upon. With, in, and upon. Now these are three prepositions used throughout Scripture to describe the relationship of the church to the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is with you. He desires and is willing to live in you, and he also wants to come upon you at different times. 
In John 14, verses 16 through 17, Jesus said, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit is with us regardless of what we want. He's with us. He was with the disciples in a way. He had not yet come and indwelled the disciples, but he was with them, working with them and working in their midst, but he had not come yet and indwelled them. And the Holy Spirit is with us regardless. And let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit comes to convict of righteousness, of sin, and of judgment to come. He's going to come and he's going to convict your heart. How many of y'all, you remember that moment when you were just, you convicted? You know what I'm talking about? And mine was drawn out over a long period of time. And I got to be honest with you, sometimes the Holy Spirit still convicts me. There are things, and I, I never want to lose that conviction of the Holy Spirit. There's things that sort, sort of try to creep into my life, and the Holy Spirit will come and say, uh-uh, now, Clay, <laughs> come on now, buddy. You can do better than that now. And I'm thankful for that. But he comes and he begins to knock on the door of your heart because he's trying to get, to get you to believe in what Jesus has done for you to be saved. And when you turn to Jesus and you yield to that and the Holy Spirit creates faith in your heart because you yield to that, guess what? The Holy Spirit comes and he lives on the inside of you. And he's going to be there to dwell with you and live in your heart forever and forever when he comes in you. And see, the scripture says that if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, then you are not his. The Holy Spirit dwells in every believer. But the third and the most ignored and the final part is when he comes upon. So he's with us, knocking on the doors of hearts, trying to get us to open the doors of our hearts. And when we receive and when we uh, exercise faith in Christ, he comes to live inside. But then lastly, he comes upon. Acts 1.8 says this, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That word power, a man used it and he used it when he made dynamite because the Greek word is dunamis. And the guy who made dynamite that exploded, he said, you know what? I need a good word for what this is. And he chooses to use this Greek word dunamis power in order to explain his creation that just explodes and destroys stuff. But see, this power that we're talking about is not destructive. It's life-giving. It is explosive, but when it explodes, it brings life and it brings transformation. He doesn't just want to be in you. He wants to come upon you. So yes, let me put it to you this way. The story that I told you before, the Holy Spirit was now in me. I was a believer in Christ, but when I was playing ball, all of a sudden there was a moment when the Holy Spirit came upon me. Amen. And I don't think that it's healthy to look at it as something, you know, in the churches that I was in, oh, they'll say, oh, I remember when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit, it was, it was so-and-so, I was around the altar, and I did this, and I did that. And I'm thinking, yeah, but are you filled with Him now? You may have got filled with Him then, but are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now in this moment? Because what you see is in Acts chapter 2, it says they're all filled with the Holy Spirit. They gather again in Acts chapter 4, and they're all filled with the Holy Spirit again. And then throughout the Scripture, there are moments when they see instances, and it says, and, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin to speak. And being filled with the Holy Spirit, he looks at him and says, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. See, because there are moments when the Spirit of God chooses to come upon us. And when we are talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about because I'm an available and a willing vessel, I'm open to the Holy Spirit to say, you can come upon me whenever you want to use me in whatever way you want and you can move me. So he lives in me for my sake, but he comes upon me in a moment of time for the sake of others. And anybody, 
Baptist, Methodist, whoever they may be, when they sense that moment in their lives, when their heart begins to pound and they know this is a divine moment and they know I've got to talk to this person about Jesus, guess what that is? That's them being filled with the Holy Spirit. Somebody amen me. There's a lot of growth in these areas and how the Holy Spirit can use us. There's a lot to be said about that that I don't have time to get into today. But see, when we're filled with the Spirit, something begins to change. And see, every time the Spirit moves and we proclaim the gospel boldly, man, it's a signpost to the fact that Jesus is coming and you need to be ready. And this is why the the Spirit wants to use us in the gifts of healing. Why? Because not everybody's going to be healed, folks. Not until Jesus comes back. But there are moments when the Spirit breaks in among us and He uses us in gifts of healing. And people are healed. I've seen people healed. I've seen people delivered of multiple personality disorder. A word of knowledge would come. We lay hands on them. We pray. People are set free. People are delivered. Things things change, but it doesn't happen all the time. I wish it happened more. But we to earnestly desire the gifts of the Spirit. And when these things move and they come in us and they begin to move, God is saying, this is pointing to the end when all things are going to be healed. And even tongues and prophecy, it's pointing to a time when there's going to be one language. And yeah, we don't have all knowledge yet, but sometimes supernatural knowledge breaks in among us to point us to the time when there will be full knowledge of all things in the end. So listen, when the Spirit comes, we never want to resist Him. We never want to grieve Him. We never want to quench Him. And again, a lot of times when it comes to talking about the Spirit, people are resistant to it. And I'm sure even people are resistant to my message this morning, and that's fine. Because I'm, I'm, I don't even know all the truth. But people are resistant to it because there's been a lot of crazy stuff attributed to the Holy Spirit. Y'all amen me on that. I mean, there's been a lot of... Spe- I was in a church... You can't... I, if I told you all the stuff that I've seen... And, and, and this church, I think, by now knows that even though I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, I believe in God moving, I'm not down for craziness. Amen, right? Come on, y'all be like, yeah, I'm with you, Clay. I'm not down for it. I remember I was in a church service one time and there was this woman running across the front letting out an Indian war hoop, a scantless son. And it was not an Indian war hoop that, that was like, man, I really feel God in this. This is an Indian war hoop that's like, oh my God, what's this woman doing? This is, it was one of the ones that scare you. You know what I'm talking about? And as she's doing it, the preacher at this point is trying to get up to preach the word of God and she will not quit. We're waiting on her five minutes while she's Indian war hooping. And somebody after asked her, I don't know if they were like, Lord really got a hold of you, didn't he? It's Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost, what are you going to do? Don't do crazy stuff and blame it on the Holy Ghost. Because that's not the Holy Spirit, that's just you being weird. And the scripture says that the Spirit is subject, the Spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. You know what that means? That means when the Holy Spirit moves upon a person, how you actually represent it and how it actually manifests is not necessarily the Holy Spirit. A lot of it could be what you've been trained to believe or act in because it manifests itself on you, but how you respond and how you react is totally up to you because the Spirit of God will not control you. Amen. And that's why you don't quench the Spirit, you don't resist the Spirit, but you learn to flow and walk in the Spirit. You learn to live with the Spirit. You learn to let Him lead you, let Him guide you, and you yield to His power, and you trust that He's going to use you, and you learn to build this relationship with the Spirit. Ephesians 5, 18 says, And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. And in the Greek language, literally, the the language is, be always being filled with the Spirit. It is a continual thing. 
Have you ever been stranded on the road and you, you got no gas and you're thinking, well, boys, I filled this thing up two years ago. <laughs> Nobody's ever done that. Because in order to run, you have to continually be filling the thing up in order to run. And in other words, you got to get up in the morning and say, Lord, it's another day. I need you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't know what's going to happen today. Would you burn in me like a fire? Would you fill me and use me today for what is on the table today? Because if not, if not, you begin to leak, you begin to drain. And all of a sudden you revert to old behaviors and old patterns of lifestyles. And you forget that you are called to glorify God and your called to be filled with the Holy Spirit and you got to come you got to ask him Lord refill me I need to be used today the same way that I was used yesterday and last week and last year I need a fresh in feeling I need to be always being filled with the Holy Spirit therefore I'm going to worship I'm going to praise I'm going to pray I'm going to intercede I'm going to stay in the word of God why because I want to be being filled amen and we've got to be being filled if God is going to do in us what he wants us to do now, I had several things I want to do, but I got to skip. We got to, I got to shut this thing down. Number six, Pentecost makes the church universal. Pentecost makes the church universal. You know, and I've, I've basically made this point the entire sermon, so I don't want to belabor it. But here's the thing. The true church of Jesus Christ, there is one true church of Jesus Christ. And there are people, let me I'll put it to you this way. There are people who are true followers of Jesus in this building. There are people who are not true followers of Jesus in this building. You go to a church down the road, completely, deno completely different denomination or whatever, there are people in that building that are true followers of Jesus Christ, and there are people in that building who are not true followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus even said that in that last day, he said, many will come and they will say, look, man, I've done many. I did, we, did, we, did, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did all these wonderful works in your name. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. Because if you want to know what being filled with the Holy Spirit is like, it is about being in love with God and having a relationship with him. And sometimes people will say, well, the test of being filled with the Holy Spirit is speaking in tongues. You know what? I thank God for speaking in tongues. I speak in tongues more than you all. And I'm in good company because Paul said the same thing. Amen. But guess what? I think the greatest indicator of being filled with the Holy Spirit is that you are filled with love. And that love compels you. It compels you to bring the gospel to the people around you in the best way that you possibly know how. Yeah, the gifts of the Spirit are nice, but you know that even Paul said, look, the gifts of the Spirit are good, Corinthian church. Y'all are wilding out in here with the gifts of the Spirit. But he said, if you don't have love, you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You can't sit there and talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit when you're rude and you're not kind and you don't love people and you don't care about people. Just because you speak in tongues means nothing in comparison to you being filled with the spirit of love. And that love begins to make this understanding of the church universal. That listen, all of us, regardless of where we come from, regardless of what, when you see your brothers and sisters that don't go to this church out in the community, don't say, hey, where you go church? Well, I go church down here. No, y'all are one church. You're one church. And you need to view them as one church. Ephesians 4 verse 4 through 6 says, there is one body. And one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. We got a unique calling here at the, as, as, as this City of Hope Church. Every church, every local church has a unique expression in the world. And we should honor that. 
We shouldn't look at different churches and say, well, they do it the wrong way. You do it the wrong way. Well, we don't believe that. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to be a unique expression in our local context, but man, we need to lift up those who are different from us in different ways. We need to pray that, Lord, fill every church with your spirit who is proclaiming the name of Jesus regardless of the doctrinal differences or whatever they are. God, use every church because at the end of the day, God, there's one church and we're believing that you are raising up one true church in this hour and there is a group of believers throughout the world, no matter what church they're in, that they're like the believers on the day of Pentecost. They're praying, they're seeking the face of God and they're saying, God, I see that time is wrapping up and Jesus, you're coming quickly, but I want to be available and I want you to pour out your spirit and I want you to fill me and I want you to use Use me how you see fit. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to stand to our feet. I want us to worship together. And I want us to just begin to pray a simple prayer to the Lord this morning. And that is, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? God, if there's anything that is hindering me from you using me the way that you need to use me, would you tear that down? Would you move that out of my life? Because I want to be a vessel that is fully surrendered to you and fully surrendered to what you want to do. So right where you're at, I want you to just bow your heads. I want us to pray together. Just open your hands up to the Lord right there where you're at. Just open them up. And Lord, this is a difficult message because God, it's, it weighs heavily in one direction, I think. But I did my best and I asked you, Holy Spirit, to help me because I don't know everything. And my goal here was not to persuade or, or to make sure that somebody believed the way that I did. God, that's not my goal. My goal this morning is that our hearts would be open, Lord Jesus, for you to fill us and use us the way that you called us to be used. Because, Lord, we live in a dark world and we need so badly to be filled with your Holy Spirit. And, God, however, however that manifests itself, Lord, however you choose to, to use the gifts of the Spirit in our lives and however you choose, God, to equip us, God, to minister the gospel to our family and to our friends around us, whatever that looks like, God. We want to be open to it as a people. And so, Lord, would you come the same way you did on that day of Pentecost in the New Testament? Would you fill us afresh right now? Just ask him right where you're at. Say, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And, Lord, let me always be being filled with your Holy Spirit. God, let me never run out. But, Lord, use me. Fill me up. Fill me up, God. Just continue to pray. We're going to worship. I want you to just continue to pray where you're at. We're going to worship just for a moment. But just continue to pray. Continue to intercede. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to just begin to move in our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would fill each person afresh. Fill each person afresh, Lord.